know, sometimes uh, the simple demonstrations of love can be the most effective, at least on a day-to-day basis, and they really are so needed. They really are so important. Um, For example, I married uh, my wife because I love her, and though I, I guess at some point we could renew our vow, for the most part you only marry the girl once, right? But I am supposed to love her every day, and so I try to do that, and I try to express it to her. I tell her I love her, and that I'm glad that she can put up with me. (laughs) I tell her how beautiful she is. I try to encourage her. I help her make the bed almost every morning. I enjoy her company as we sit together in the living room, reading our Bibles, and believe it or not, drinking our coffee together. I I know I do all sorts of things that must annoy her, and I leave undone things that I should do. Uh, For instance, I went to the dump yesterday, but I I didn't gather all the trash before I went, and I heard about it. (laughs) So you're like a little child? I have to tell you everything to do? You didn't gather all the trash? (laughs) All I could do was smile. What am I going to say? Yeah, I didn't want to do it, so I didn't. And, uh, and in, spite of, in spite of all my failures, I love her simply and every day. And those things really are important. Now, the first two full verses of Philippians are kind of like that. We find there Paul and Timothy's care, their concern for the Philippian church, the people there in Philippi. But what's more, we really do see God's love expressed in simple and everyday ways. And in this short section, just two verses that we're going to look at this morning, we can see three ways in which God communicates his love for us in the smaller, everyday, but so important ways. And so I want to invite you to join me, please, in the book of Philippians chapter 1. And, of course, Jim will have the text up on the screen on either side of me. So what we're going to do, I just want you to know kind of where we're headed. We're going to make our way through this book. And it's going to take us, as we go through the book of Philippians, all the way until the fall. Sometime in September, uh, beginning of September, we ought to finish it. And at that point, we're going to begin as a church uh, on Sunday morning, a study of the book of Romans. And I'm really excited about both of these books and excited to be doing that. And the part that we're looking at this morning out of uh, Philippians is uh, the salutation. It's the opening part of a letter. And... um, And when Paul writes here, when he opens this letter, he's really using the letter formula uh, which was common to his day. Now, we have our formats. You know that. You you sit down and write a letter, and we begin maybe something like, Dear Sir or Madam, or maybe we write to whom it may concern. We have this little colon, and then we have some space. You know, we have the date up there, maybe addresses, that kind of thing. And and, and that's, uh, that's kind of our format. And the people in Paul's day had their own format. And we can see what that looks like in, uh, by looking at Paul's different letters, uh, which are really similar to all the other 
letters that were written in that day and place. So if you go to the New Testament and look at Paul's letter, you can see that salutation. And if you were to go to a secular letter written by, a, oh, say, an emperor or something, it would look very similar in the beginning. But Paul isn't afraid to adapt that format uh, to fit his purposes. And this salutation here in the book of Philippians is a little different than the other ones that the apostle wrote. For example, Paul does not refer to himself as an apostle here in this salutation. And he also mentions elders and deacons, and normally he just addresses the church at large. Now, we're going to come back to those two facts in just a moment to see why that, what that might mean to us. But uh, before we do that, we're going to note the first way in which God demonstrates his love for us. And he's what I would call small, everyday kind of things. And that is, he gives us what we need to grow as Christians. Actually, he gives us two things that, that Paul mentions here. This isn't an exhaustive list, of course. Uh, in a way, it's really kind of more of a reminder or maybe even a hint of all that God has in store for us. But these two things that he mentions really are very important to us. And the first thing that God does, because he cares for us, because he loves us, is he gives us people that care for us and that loves us. He puts us in a church. (laughs) You see, the letter begins this way in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. He's talking to the church. He's talking to that particular church in Philippi. You see, he expects that all Christians are a part of a congregation. And the New Testament really doesn't know anything about Lone Ranger Christianity. The New Testament uh, really knows that we need to be part of a church. And that's almost assumed as you make your way through the book. Uh, There are times, yes, when you and I have to stand alone, so it seems, against an unjust world. But we have been prepared for that time. We've been strengthened for times like that by the fellowship of our fellow believers. This truth is really so obvious that it's easy for us to overlook. It's easy for us to take it for granted. I have to tell you, I can remember the days before I became a believer. The big thing about Sunday morning, before I was a Christian, was a Sunday paper and the comics. And I remember when I would finally roll out of bed, walking out to the end of the driveway, and grabbing that fat old Sunday paper, bringing it in, and taking the comics. I would lay them on the floor and lay down beside them and read those comics. And that was it. I have to tell you, I can't imagine living like that now. You know, church has become so much a part of my life. I feel an emptiness whenever I can't be here. Last week, I, I'm sick. I couldn't come. I felt it. I missed it. I missed the music. I missed the prayers. I missed you. <laughs> I missed the whole thing. It's just such a wonderful gift from God. It's, it's similar in a way and how we can take our own families for granted. You know, if you stop for a moment and think about the things that happen with you and your children every day in your home, you can get some idea of what I'm talking about here. Uh, virtually every important thing which happens in your children's lives happens in the home. 
or it's related to it in some way, right? And, and, and it's where we really learn our children, we first, and our children next learn how to live, and yet how easy it is to take that for granted. And you know, there really are three big things in the life of a child. You, you know that? There are really three big things. His or her home, his church, her church, and the school they go to. Those three things will shape them. And if the home and the church are in agreement, and the school begins to be seen in the light of those two things. And that's why it's so important to have your children in church. Otherwise, it's just you at home and the school. And for the first two years, a few years anyway, that might seem to be enough. Kids view things and life through the lens of the family, but but if you don't watch it, uh, if there's not some other influence, if they're not in church, what happens before long, the family begins to be seen the way the school sees it. And I have to tell you something. I may offend some of you here. But I have to say this. Your children need to be here. They need to be here more than they need some other activity. I'm not a legalist. If if I had a kid and he had a uh, playoff game and it was on Sunday, okay. But your kids need what happens here. And you need to have them here. The church is our family. You understand that? And we go out in the world and we can make sense of the world around us through the lens of the church. That's God's design. He's given us people to help us to do that. So there's Paul and Timothy were servants of Christ to the Philippians. And so were the elders and the deacons. Servants, you understand, not masters. And remember that idea, that idea of Christian authority, authority of a pastor, an elder, and a deacon, is not authority to, to rule. It means to take responsibility for other people. And so God has placed people in the church that help you that are there by God's design to come alongside of you, to, in a sense, take responsibility for you, to love you, to to help guide you and show you the way. And, of course, we can't live the life for you. Not the elders, not the deacons, not the pastors, not the other people in the church. I mean, you're still responsible for the way you live, but all around you, if you look, there are people here who are examples to you, who can encourage you, who can teach you, and who will walk with you through life. Every time someone joins this church, one of the things I say to them, they're making a commitment to us. Our commitment is we will walk with them through this life. And that's not because we're so smart or so good. It's because it's God's design. It's what he intends. He's given us a church. He, he loves us every day and simply, and he's given us a church home to help us to grow in our faith. And the second thing he does to help us grow in our faith is he's given us his word. <laughs> and, and so here God has directed his servants, Paul and Timothy, to write to the Philippians, but they were his servants, and the word comes from him. 
Now, you know, you and I, we don't have a letter that's addressed specifically to Y Bible Church. You look cover to cover, and you're not going to find one that has Y Bible Church's name in there. But we have God's Word, don't we? And God's Word is His letter to us. This entire book is given to us as His Word to us. And we really are a blessed people. You know, all over our world, there are believers who literally, this is not hyperbole, they literally risk their very lives just to have a piece of the Bible. And we, I mean, we have multiple copies and different translations, and we can read them freely any time we want. Unfortunately, we don't always take advantage of it, but it's there for us. And God's word is his gift to his people to help us to grow in the faith. And God's word is intended for all of his people. I want you to read it again. Notice how Paul addresses the letter to all the saints together with the overseers and deacons. Normally, Paul just addresses the letter of the church, but here he includes the leaders. And you might wonder why he does that. Well, in doing that, he puts the people in the church on the same level as the elders and deacons. Paul and Timothy, the elders and the deacons, were servants of Christ Jesus, and the people in Philippi were in Christ Jesus. But all of them can understand God's word. It was intended for the whole church. And that's Paul's way of normally addressing his letters. And some, you understand, have argued over the years that the letters were addressed to the churches, but in leaders were the ones that had to interpret them for the people. And we see here clearly that's not the case. People are put on the same level as the elders and deacons. The so-called lay people as well as the leaders are addressed. The word of God is for all of God's people. It's not too hard. It's not above us. It's not some secret code known only to a select few. God speaks clearly for all to hear. You know, the old preachers referred to the word as the bread of life. And everybody needs to eat. Everybody needs the word. The pastor may break that bread for you. He may serve it up for you. And he may help you to understand what it means. He may bring a message from God. But you have to eat. And you need to eat every day. You need to be in his word whether the pastor is there or not. Now, you and I have, again, we have the Bible. We can sit down any time we want. You know, in the old days when the church first formed, they read the Scripture, and people put that in their mind. And every day they would get up, and throughout the day they'd remember what had been read that Sunday to them. And that was their word, and they treasured it. And we ought to do the same. We ought to treasure it. And of course, that doesn't mean we can't learn from others. God intends us to. doesn't mean we shouldn't respect those God has put in that place. But the word is not a secret which only a few can understand. It is for all of his people. And so we see in these just verses, it's just two things. that God shows us really every day love to us by giving us two things that we need to grow. He gives us his word and he gives us his church. And then through this letter, God reminds us of who we are. Now, if you read his word, you hear this over and over again, just who you as a believer really are. 
I'd like to think that Jim and I, as we uh, teach and preach, that we communicate that to you also. And again, what we, we see here is really representative of the broader truth, but it's simple and it's beautiful. Listen to what it says again. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, took all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. You see, we are God's holy people. I like the way the new NIV puts it, um, to all God's holy people. Other translations, maybe the one you're looking at, says uh, to the saints or to all the saints, right? And, and that word kind of sometimes becomes a little cloudy in our mind. We think of people that are better than others. But, but really, he's saying that all of us who are Christians are holy. It's, that's what the word saint means. It means a holy person. And the NIV makes that clear. And you and I, we are God's holy people. Now, I know that we don't always feel holy. And the truth is, we aren't in some ways. And and, and I believe, I have to tell you, I do believe this, that for an hour or so every week, things are pretty much as they should be when we gather here. We enjoy the company of God, and we enjoy one another's company. And it can have a great impact. What happens here on a Sunday morning can have a great impact on our week. And that's another reason why church is so important. But even when we don't feel holy, even when we're not acting it, we are. We are because holy means to be set apart for God's purposes. And so when we put our faith in Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, when I did, we were set apart for his purposes. We were made holy. And what that means is we will eventually become absolutely good, but it's a process that we go through. So we try to live out our faith. As a Philippians letter says to us later, it says, work out your own salvation. Whereas we read elsewhere, the one who has this hope that Christ will return purifies himself even as Christ is pure. So, so we are, we, we, we're in this process, and there's a part that we have to play for. But it also means this. It means that God is at work in us. And the other part of that Philippian thing is, is that God is at work in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure. The truth is, you and I need to be reminded of that fact. You see, we fail, and we fail so often. We live in a fallen world, and the devil is at work trying to tell us that we are less than what we ought to be, and we can become so discouraged. And it's good to be reminded of who we really are, God's holy people. So I'm reading a book right now, and in in this particular book, the father and the mother often remind their children of their family name and what that name means. And they're expected to live up to that name. And when they fail, as all children do and as all people do, they have to admit their failure, and then they have to start again to live up to that name. And you and I have a greater heritage than any merely human family, however great their name might be. We are God's holy people. We belong to him. He has set us apart from the rest of the world. He calls us to live out our faith, and he is at work in us to enable us to do that very thing. So we're in Christ. I mean, we're 
uh, holy people. And the next thing is, is that we are in Christ. That's who we are also. We are God's holy people, and we are in Christ. And so just what does that mean, we're in Christ? Well, maybe we could think of Christ kind of as a fortress. And maybe when you think about that, the picture that's in your head is, is maybe this castle, right? Or, or, or maybe it's a wooden fort like they used to have in the Cowboys and in Indian days when every post had a point at the top. Or, or maybe, maybe you think of Superman's Fortress of Solitude. I don't know what might be in your mind, but the idea that comes to us when we think about that is this, this idea of safety and protection. We're in him. We're safe. But it's really more than just that, you understand. See, we belong there. This isn't a a temporary place of shelter for us. Those of you who are Downton Abbey fans, right, you'll understand this because uh, the Lord of the manor and all of his family lived in that castle, and for them it was home. Well, that's what Christ is to us. We belong to him. We're in him, and we are safe, but we are also at home in him. And where Christ is, we are. You and I might walk upon this earth, but our home is with God the Father in heaven, and where God is, there is heaven. You and I, all of us who have put our faith in Christ as our Savior and our Lord, are God's holy people, set aside for his purposes, which were all good for us and we are in Christ he's our fortress against all the evils of the world so in these two verses in the very beginning of the letter of Philippians God expresses his simple everyday love for his people he gives us what we need to grow in our faith the church and the word and he reminds us of who we are we are his and we're holy because of it and we are in Christ forever finally In this short passage, God offers us two things. Every single day, he offers them to us over and over again, things which only he can give. He offers us grace and peace. Verse 2 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul tells us there is grace for us and there is peace for us. And they come from the Father and the Son. You know, Paul can't give them to anyone. All he can do is remind them that they're there. That's what God offers. The world can't give it to you. No, it'll lie to you and offer you all sorts of things in the place of peace. The world can't give it to you. And the devil, he'll try to convince you to look elsewhere. Grace and peace come from God. God alone. So grace is God's unmerited favor. God shows you his favor in a multitude of ways, in simple ways, every single day. He shows you his grace. You think about this for a moment. Think about your loved ones. Yeah, what's that old saying? No one's ever been lying on a bed, dying, wishing they spent another hour in the office or had another thing in the bank. Why don't we wish that we were with the people we love? Think about your loved ones, your family, your friends, your church. Who who gave them to you? God did. How about your job, your house, your car? I know you work for them, but really they come from God's hand. All hard work in the world, all of it put together, doesn't guarantee success to anyone. 
You see, you don't earn grace. It's given or it is not. And I don't mean by that that you can treat people any way that you want or take the good things in your life for granted and everything will still be okay for you. What I mean is God is the one who enables you, who made you, who made the world and the people in the world, who provides the opportunity so that those things you pursue can come to you. And so much of what we have, we've never worked for a day in our lives. You know, my mom and dad loved me before I knew anything. And they took care of me long before I could take care of myself. All the important things in life, our children, our spouses, our parents, our church, our loved ones, they're all gifts from God. He graciously gives us all we need to grow spiritually. The Word and the church and people who care for us, the Spirit, it's all God's grace to us, undeserving though we are. And over and over again, day in and day out, in simple and in great ways, God's grace is offered to you and me. And then there's peace. (laughs) Jesus told us the peace that he gives the world cannot give. He told us that it's the kind of thing that passes understanding. You know, it's shalom is the the Hebrew word that we're talking about here. And that doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. You can have that shalom in the midst of the greatest conflict you have ever faced in your life. That word shalom, that peace, means a fullness and a completeness, a trust, peace, (laughs) no matter what's going on in your life. I experienced that peace at different times and in different ways. Sometimes I know it when I'm outside God's creation, <coughs> enjoying the wind or sunset, the ocean or the mountains. Sometimes it's when um, I'm there talking with my wife or my children, my dad, my mom when she was still with us. It's there often when I'm with my friends and a church. I've known it in hard times when my mother passed away, when other loved ones have departed. I've known it when I have failed at my business. I know it when I felt God's presence in this church or during prayer or when I'm in the Word. Peace that God gives, it's real, it's powerful. It's beyond our understanding. And it can come from no place else but from God. And God offers it to us every day, both grace and peace. We have to take advantage of it. And for that, we need to be made aware of it. But it is there for us. Every letter Paul wrote pretty much starts out the same way. He adapts it to fit his purposes, but he always says grace and peace to you. It's always from God. He may add some other things in it, but the grace and the peace, they take the center stage. I have to tell you, I can remember the first time the lights went on for me with this. I was sitting in the living room. I was drinking my coffee, reading my Bible before anyone else was awake during that time alone with God. I began reading one of Paul's letters. I don't remember which one now. And I I remember thinking, Paul says that a lot, doesn't he? He's always writing those words, grace and peace be with you. 
I bet they're in every one of his letters, and they are. And then it hit me. This is God's word. Paul's writing on his behalf. Over and over again, God is telling me, I offer you grace. I offer you peace. You can't really get them anywhere else, but I have them, and I want to give them to you. Not just once in a while. Not just on some occasions. Not even when you've been particularly good, but every day. All the time. The the simple things and in the great. God says to you and me, you are mine. You're holy. You're set apart for my purposes. And together we will make you good. You're in Christ. You are safe forever and nothing can ever harm you, really harm you there. I've given you a church home. I've given you my word. Both of those so you can grow and so you can enjoy all that I have for you. And I offer you what no one else can. In simple ways and in great ways, every day I offer you both grace and peace. God in our day is still speaking. Do you hear him? Are you even listening? Would you pray with me, please? And thank you so much for your word. And thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Lord, that you corralled us in Christ Jesus. And we belong to you both now and And one place in the scriptures says that you rejoice over us with singing. Help us to take that to heart and to realize all of the good that you offer us. And then help us, Lord, to reach out and to take it in gladness and in gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.